Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church Podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. So keep setting that culture. Good morning to our online family. So good to see you too. Uh, This is your first time with us. Go ahead and hit that online guest card so that we can send you a free gift as well. The last time we were together, we peered into the beautiful community that was forming around life with Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And it would make sense, wouldn't it, that the power of Jesus' life will begin pressing into the normal, into the daily, into the routine, drawing God's people into a new rhythm of living. Acts is, of course, also among many things, a recounting of miracles. And it shows us what happens, listen, what happens at the intersection of the miraculous and the mundane. And of the many miracles in Acts, none has a more formal resemblance to the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels than the one we're going to see today. And what we're going to see is that brokenness, listen, brokenness is healed. I better get a good amen after this. Brokenness is healed when Jesus' power is unleashed. Brokenness is healed when Jesus' power is unleashed. Listen, even in the absence of Jesus' physical presence, we're going to see that together. So if you have a paper or digital Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 3. If you want to follow along with sermon notes, hit that QR code. And you'll be able to do that. You'll also get the bulletin for this week so you can know what's happening in the life of your church. I'm going to start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said this, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong, jumping up. He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and beg for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and astonishment at what had happened to him. The word of the Lord, and you would say back with me, thanks be to God. Amen. Here's a question I have for you to start this time. Have you ever flown into Atlanta at night? For those of us who have, you know that our city in particular offers the passenger seat window a spectacular lighting view that that gives every promise of splendor and beauty awaiting on the ground. (laughs) However, living in our city, really living in any city, gives us a different perspective if we are willing to open our eyes and see. The bright lights from the plane window do not reveal the darkness that the city is hiding in sectors and situations. Sometimes light hides the darkness. 
and is revelatory even in the lives of people that we know and don't know. For example, the lonely woman, she returns to this magnificent apartment in Buckhead that she acquired through a bitter and painful divorce settlement. Tourists wander from monument to monument in Washington, D.C., scarcely aware that they are surrounded by some of the worst drug trafficking in the United States. Atlantans hop from entertaining experience to entertaining experience and settle nicely into our suburbs, oblivious to or ignoring that Atlanta is a dangerous place for vulnerable women and children who steadily fall victim to trafficking. Boaters, seemingly pushed by the gentle rays of the setting sun, float into the San Francisco Bay under the Golden Gate Bridge, perhaps not thinking for a moment that they are about to dock at a city that houses one of, if not the largest, population of unhoused people in the United States. Those are just a few examples of where the light is hiding the darkness. And it leads me to a question for you. Do you see? Do you see the brokenness that surrounds us, hidden often by the bright lights, exciting events, and blissful ignorance in which we exist? Or do you think I'm over-exaggerating? Let me give you an example. In fact, that question reminds me of a funny conversation I have with my little bro, Jason. We were at lunch, Indian place down the road, and I had just pulled in and I saw a giant bag of trash sitting in the middle of the media. You know, true Atlanta. There was chicken bones scattered about as well. And... <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, it doesn't matter where you go. You can live in Buckhead, you can live in Atlanta Country Club, you can live in Johns Creek, you can live in Beaufort, you're going to see trash and lemon pepper wet bones everywhere. <laughs> right? It's a thing. It's a thing. I follow some things on my FYP on Instagram, and all of them are like, Atlanta's not a real place, right? It's, it's not. It's not a real place. And so I was saying this to him, like, are you tired of seeing the trash everywhere? Especially still living in Midtown. And he said, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't see any trash. And I said, oh, okay. Next time we got together, he literally, I'm not joking. We sat down, we said hi. He said, what did you do to me? I said, what do you mean? He said, I can't unsee it. Everywhere I go, I see it. Big bags, little bags, couches, steering wheels. Oh, there's two or three couches on 75 South every month. Big bags, little bags, bicycles. And he literally said this, and wing bones. <laughs> the point of that little story, and it's a true story, is that once you open your eyes to see, you can't unsee. And what I'm inviting you to do today is to see, to see. In fact, I believe that even before I shared several examples, many of you are already affirming the thought in your mind that there is a great deal in need of healing in this city. In this city, there's a great deal in need of healing. And because of that needed healing, I know, I know that many of you want to see communities transformed because broken people and situations are healed and made whole. I truly believe that many of us want to see that very thing in light of what we have seen and cannot unsee to be solved. I believe that. But there's a problem. There's a problem with fulfilling that hope. And I'm going to tell you what the problem is because I feel it every single day. The problem is that often the brokenness in our city feels overwhelming. It feels like it's consuming. It feels like it's too much to heal. I think to myself all the time, where do we begin with the thousands of children in foster care? 
Where do we begin with the thousands of women and children being trafficked? Where do we begin with those who daily live with food insecurity or our unhoused neighbors? Where do we begin, even if we see it, despite the anesthesia of bright lights, exciting events, and blissful ignorance, even if we acknowledge it, even if we have a deep desire to do something about it, because it seems so consuming, we often feel helpless. It just feels like it's too much to address. And I want to encourage you today that we don't have to feel that way. In fact, we should instead feel empowered to heal and make whole the brokenness of our cities. And yet, even as I say that, you know what? I feel every bit as helpless at times. I think to myself often, what can our little church really do in the face of such overwhelming brokenness? But here's what I've learned over the years, family, and I hope you hear my heart on it. I've learned that if I am faithful, listen, if I am faithful, not to try to do everything, but faithful to seize any opportunity that God puts in front of me, that more often than not, God will meet that moment with his overwhelming presence and power and be faithful to produce divine healing and wholeness in the lives of people who are experiencing great brokenness. I've seen it. So first of all, you're not alone in feeling helpless when confronting the brokenness that surrounds us. But I want you to remember that even a small step can lead to significant change. Every effort counts toward making a difference. So how do we participate in the transforming of the communities around us and in breaking cycles of brokenness? The first thing we must do is gonna seem too simple to be true, but I promise you it's real. The first thing we must do is practice the simple rhythms of the way of Jesus. That's it. Another way to say that is just be a good Christian. Just do the Jesus stuff that you say you believe in. Practice the simple rhythms of the way of Jesus. Though it seems counterintuitive to citywide transformation because we always want to start with the macro and figure out the most uh, extravagant solution we can find possible, the reality is it begins with faithfulness to the simple rhythms of following Jesus in every single aspect of our lives. The early Christians, well, they were still faithful Jews. And so according to Jewish custom, Peter and John lived out Acts 2, 42 and 46, which we looked at last week, by going up to the temple, both literally and spiritually, to pray, verse 1 tells us, and worship at the time of the evening sacrifice, normal rhythms of faithful practice. At three in the afternoon, the hour of prayer, don't even have time to stand on that for a minute, but prayer was so rooted in their culture that there was an hour of prayer, like you just knew, this is when you're supposed to be praying. Okay, at the hour of prayer, God, I want to, I want to, they were headed to the church. You have no idea how much strain I have to show up here week in and week out. Both, you know, unnecessary comedy, uh, which I resist. There are so many places, there's so many places. Uh, and then, you know, just wanting to harp on some things that aren't the point of the message. At the hour of prayer. I mean, it is in the text, but it's not the point of the message. You know, you got to. At the hour of prayer, listen, 11 o'clock came ready. Let me tell y'all, 10 o'clock almost made me quit today. They were headed to the church as we might do on any given Sunday morning, on any given Sunday morning, 
And verse 2 tells us what? That as they arrive, a man with no use of his legs, described as lame from birth because of a congenital condition, is being carried to his accustomed begging place. Luke tells us that he was paralyzed from his feet and his ankles, making walking impossible. Listen, it doesn't say it in the text, but when you dig into it a little bit, into the context, you find this, that he had been this way for 40 years. Can I say it this way? Brokenness is all he ever knew. The depth of his need is apparent to everyone. And it's in these ordinary circumstances. Are you hearing me? It is in these ordinary circumstances. Jesus people going to church. In these ordinary circumstances, an extraordinary encounter occurs. The scene is reminiscent of Jesus' encounter with the man born blind in John 9. At the temple gate, the gate called the beautiful gate and bright with light is hidden a darkness, a brokenness. And just as it did in John chapter 9, where, where in a single moment of an encounter with Jesus, the infirmity collapsed, that collapse is about to happen again. It should be noted, just for you nerds out there like me, that the man had chosen an excellent place for begging, since almsgiving was a virtuous act for Jewish people, verse 3. And so each day, someone brought him to the temple along with dozens of others, and each one sought to catch the attention of a good worshiper passing by. The lame man is leveraging the only trait that he knows, appealing to the generosity and piety of strangers. And it is here, it is here that inexplicable hurt and faithful witness meet. The only thing that matters are those two things. Faithful witness, meeting undeniable pain, in a moment with Jesus. As these men are in the rhythm of worship, as they are in the rhythm of practicing the way of Jesus, God reveals to them that the poor and lame, the sick and pain, the vulnerable and marginalized, guess what? They must be seen. This man is precisely who Jesus would see. And he demands that his disciples see too. He left Peter and John with only one option. Ignore my voice or see through my eyes. There is no in between. The call then for us is to embrace the transformative power of the simple rhythms of the way of Jesus. That's what's so powerful about this scene, that it shows us that just in the process of practicing the way, opportunities to heal others will present themselves. You never know what transformative moment God is going to lead you into. And when that moment comes, guess what? Here's number two. You have to seize it. Seize every chance to make someone or something whole. Seize every chance. Thank you. We're like three years away. You keep setting culture. You keep doing it. 2.5 years. Seize every opportunity. Seize every opportunity. That's what Peter and John do. Verse 4 tells us that the man is following his desperate pattern of begging, and Peter stops and he says, look at us. Look at us. The man gave Peter and John his total attention. I imagine he would if he was expecting some unusual generosity. 
But the question under the question is, why call for his attention when he had already addressed them? Because as a veteran beggar, he would be looking from person to person to see which one was next and which one would be generous. Peter, filled with the Spirit of God, had more in mind. He had more in mind than money. God forced them into an opportunity that they had not anticipated, but guess what? They were ready to seize it. In the seconds that passed during this brief encounter, this man could not have known what his creator was about to do through what he undoubtedly saw as only two potential donors. Look at Peter's words. I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give you. What eloquent words from the former fisherman. Peter has no riches to give. He has something more. The contrast of these gifts introduces the truth of belonging. Yes, there is silver and gold, the gifts of Caesar's world, but there are also the gifts of God. Both carry power, both lead to worship, but only one actually transforms. Peter and John witness to the greater claim on creation itself, and thus a reality of a greater gift. We can imagine... You can imagine, put your imagination cap on that, that initially, yeah, that's right, that initially, this man would have been pretty disappointed. Alms for the poor, silver and gold I do not have. <laughs> what are we doing, bro? Like, it's literally what I'm here for, sir. You didn't need to tell me you didn't have it, just press on. You can imagine he was disappointed when Peter declared his lack of money. But that only serves to heighten the value of the greater gift that he does offer. Complete wholeness. I can imagine in seconds, in seconds, this beggar would have went from disappointment about hearing about Peter's financial condition to disbelief when Peter told him to get up and walk. In his many years, at that spot, we can imagine that he had encountered countless people's claim on their own poverty as an excuse not to meet his need. But nobody had ever said anything like this. What a dramatic call to action that this verse gives us. What I have, I give you. What does that mean, Pastor? It means you don't have to have everything. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't have to have everything together. You don't need to be able to solve every problem. You don't need to be able to meet every need with all that you have. No, what you're saying is what I do have, if God asks for it, I'm willing to release it to bring wholeness to somebody else. Yeah. Years ago, Brianna and I were, were at a local shelter worshiping and sharing a meal with unhoused men it was a humbling and powerful time. As I saw, listen, I saw in many respects, you never know who you're entertaining. Those men had greater faith than I did. Deeper faith in many cases than I did at the time. And as we closed our meal and prepared to leave, I noticed one of the brothers sitting by the door, he had no shoes on. I looked intently at his feet, which were wrapped in ace bandages. Spirit prompted me to unwrap his feet. Now, if you know me at all, 
I was a part of a church years ago that did foot washing services. And, and I pulled the little bucket out and I poured the water and this out, listen, God working on me. I poured the water and then I phantom. I was like, God bless you, brother. All right. And he looked down. He was like, I was like, sorry, I don't do feet. Um, I don't do feet. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's gross. It's gross. Blah. Yellow green emoji. With, with some reluctance, with some reluctance, by the power of the Spirit of God, I unwrapped his feet. They were bloody and cut and scarred. As I unwrapped his feet, the Lord said something else. He said, now put your shoes on his feet. And I want to tell you that I'm holy and pious. And most of the time I am. But the first thought in my mind was, but not these. I could go home and get some other shoes. Not, I looked for the, I wear a size 17. Those don't fall out of the sky. The Lord said, no, these. Put your shoes on his feet. And I did, and the shoes fit him perfectly. So I asked him. I said, why are your feet bandaged and shoeless? And he said, because none of the places, none of the shelters ever have shoes that fit me. They're never big enough for me. You see, in God's providence, can I just preach for a minute? In God's providence, the Lord sent my big goofy self that night with my big clown feet right on time to meet this man's need. He didn't know he was getting shoes that night. He didn't know that his feet were going to be covered. He didn't know that his need was going to be met. He just knew where Jesus was, so he showed up there, and Jesus met his need through a stranger. I went home barefoot that night. Get out my sermon notes. <laughs> now nah, I got to change it. Went home barefoot that night. But obedient. My heart full. Because I got to participate in a miracle. God is not interested in the reach of your influence or the number of people number of people that you that you know or who know you. God watches for how faithfully we seize the opportunities that he brings us. That's what he's looking for. So my encouragement to you today is to take advantage of every opportunity to make someone or something complete. The last thing I commend to you, if you want to see communities transformed, and to go from helpless to healer. The last thing I commend to you is in the miraculous and the seemingly mundane, speak the name of Jesus. 
Speak the name. Speak the name. Speak the name. Speak his name. Declare his power. Declare his authority. Declare his name. And I promise you, you will experience a divine outpouring. In fact, let me get nerdy for a minute. In Semitic thought, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of his being. Hence, the person's power is present and available in the person's name. Peter, therefore, does not just ask the risen Jesus to heal, but pronounces over the disabled man the name of Jesus, thereby releasing the healing power of Jesus. In the case of Jesus, the invocation of his name, listen, the invocation of his name is a direct link between heaven and earth. It's not a magic formula, but it is the simple recognition, the simple recognition that if any deliverance, any blessing, any freedom, any joy, any release, if any of it is going to happen, then it's going to happen by the power of the name of Jesus. It's an acknowledgement that it must arrive through his person in his work. And so Peter commands the man, I'm going to get nerdy one more time. He says, get up and walk. But you know what he's actually saying? The Greek there actually says, be walking. That's why I love the Bible. Y'all don't know the Bible. You know the Bible say kinfolk. It blesses me every time I read it. Kinfolk. And he say, be walking. Hey, my boy, be walking. It's time for you to be walking. Let's be walking up out of here. I love this quote by John Stott. He says, the power was Christ's, but the hand was Peter's. And that's how we have to operate, knowing that we have the power of Christ flowing through our hand. Instantly, verse 7, the man's feet and ankle bones receive strength. And jumping up, he stands for the first time in his life. And then naturally, as one suddenly able to walk for the first time in 40 years, the man begins walking and jumping and leaping and praising the living God. It's in the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the healing comes. He has become the living embodiment of the Messianic age as predicted in Isaiah 35, 6. Then will the lame leap like deer. And it is in the midst of all of that leaping and praising that this former disabled man, this outcast, who was not allowed in the temple courts because people who were disabled were not allowed in the temple courts, all of a sudden, because of an encounter with Jesus, because of a transforming moment with Jesus, utter brokenness is transformed into wholeness, and he dances right into the presence of God in his temple. Should we expect miracles today? Where's your cane, Pop? Tell me why, Pop. And what happened, Pop? Speak the name of Jesus. 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 Watch him work. Watch him work. Watch him work. 
Pop texted me last week. He said, pray for me. They pushed my surgery back to April. He said, we're going to keep praying until they push it right off the calendar. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We should expect it today. We should expect it today. There is no more miserable person in the world than somebody practicing nominal Western Christianity. I want to see the power of God. If these three things, practicing the normative rhythms of Jesus, seizing every opportunity that God puts in front of us, and speaking the name of Jesus over every bit of brokenness, these three things become a part of the rhythm of our life, I promise you, I can promise you I can promise you with confidence and conviction, we will become a community of healers. I promise you. And the city of Atlanta will be transformed because of it. And so I invite you today as I close, worship team, come on up. As I, invite, I invite you today as I close to seize every opportunity to seek the welfare of our cities. It is your call as a disciple. In fact, Willie James Jennings says this. He says, disciples are watched especially by those in need. Disciples must be seen, especially by those in need. So today, let's make a decision. Let's make a decision that we are going to be a community of healers, a community of healers that see the inbreaking of the Holy Spirit and the power of the living God in the declared name of Jesus produce transformation in every aspect of our society. Jesus, we speak your name. We believe in your name. We stand firm on the power of your name. We testify to your name. We testify today, Lord God, that you are going to make us a people that are a community of healers and that we are going to see this city transformed moment by moment, person by person, piece by piece, because we are just faithful to do your way and your will. And you are faithful to show up in power. In Jesus' name, amen.